Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Today is Monday, October 27th. This is episode 81 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, today I have a mixed bag of stuff to talk to you about. The first thing I'm going to do today is warn you about the probability for a show tomorrow and even Wednesday this week. What I'm going to attempt to do is is uh, is create a show on the way home today, something I can preload for either Tuesday or Wednesday, and uh, try to make it only one day without a show this week. But it's going to be very difficult for me to do a show every day this week. In fact, damn near impossible. Uh, I am off to Atlanta, Georgia on business tomorrow, and I won't return till uh, Wednesday evening. So there's just no way I can broadcast uh, when I'm gone like that, traveling on airplanes and meeting with people and doing all that good stuff. So you're going to have to do without at least one show this week, if not two. Uh, so when they don't come, don't freak out. Don't think uh, don't think somebody came and got me and uh, took me away for speaking too much truth or freedom uh, or even nonsense. If sometimes you think what I say is nonsense. Uh, this still is a nation free enough for people to be able to say whatever they want, especially in the form of a podcast. Uh, so I'll be fine. And uh, as long as the airlines do their job, I'll be back at it at the latest by Thursday of this week. On to another note. Um, today I'm going to actually talk a little bit about winter gardening and some different ideas and thoughts about that so that you can keep your gardens go- growing through the winter or maybe more importantly so that you don't say, well, I'll start a garden in the spring. Because uh, even if you're not going to plant this winter, I have to tell you that now is the time to start cutting beds and prepping and getting everything ready. And then, you know, in most parts of the country, January, February, the latest is if you're going to do your own plants from seeds, is the time to start your seeds. So I wanted to do this show now and get people thinking that way instead of with this, you know, New Year's resolution type mentality that I call it, that I'll do that next year. Because uh, if you don't at least get started on the planning process, odds are it'll be hot out, <clears throat> the ground will be baking, uh, you'll be trying to start little seedlings in, in the, the heat of summer and your ground won't be right because you won't have taken the time to do it right, uh, you won't have as much area prepared as you would like, so you'll be cramming plants closer together, all these other things will go on. <clears throat> so that's going to be the meat of today's show. I do have a couple political things to talk about before we move on. With us this close to the presidential election, I think it would be irresponsible of me not to do this. And both of these are really about the Barack Obama campaign. One is going to be in his defense, and the other is going to negate that defense almost immediately. Um, I, like many people with a conservative mindset, tend to listen to Fox News more than most other news channels, especially national news channels. And I've always found, even though everybody says Fox News is, is so you know heavy to the right side of things, that they're actually a lot more fair than most of the other media outlets. It's just that the other media outlets seem to be so far to the left that Fox looks like they're crazy right because they're actually center. That is not the case. Now, uh, this time around, and before I, let me clarify that real quick with most of the people that work there as reporters are clearly right-leaning individuals, and they will give you their opinion, but they will report it as opinion. When they report the facts or present the facts, they generally do that in a fair, balanced way, and they always bring in someone from the other side, usually who's a very good speaker, a very good defender, to defend the other side. That's why I call them fair and balanced. That's why they call themselves fair and balanced. Clear on that. 
in this case, though, I don't feel that that's what happened. If you haven't heard yet, either this morning or over the weekend, Joe Biden was giving an interview to this chick in uh, Orlando, Florida, a local affiliate there, and she asked him a series of pretty tough questions. One of the questions was, Senator Biden, I'm sure you've heard this quote before, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs, which of course came from Karl Marx, with, with Senator Obama saying he wants to spread the wealth around, is that not Marxism? Pretty close to what she asked. Well, Biden laughs. <laughs> you got? Are you kidding? Is this a real question? She says, no, this is a real question. And then Fox cut the interview this morning, right there, as though Biden refused to answer further questions, and talked about how, is this what we have to expect in an Obama presidency with the way they deal with the press corps? If you ask a question it's not like, we're not going to answer it, goodbye. Well... I was furious, and I was going to get on and go, look, folks, this is what what we're dealing with with Obama-Biden. It ain't quite that bad, because here's the reality. And I'll put a link to the actual interview uh, from this podcast at thesurvivalpodcast.com. What really happened is Biden said exactly what it was presented, exactly in the order it was presented, and then he went on to explain why Senator Obama is not a Marxist, which is what you would expect an experienced politician to do. The reason that I was willing to believe this so quickly is because of the source. And I don't mean the, the news source, I mean the source of the stupidity. Senator Biden. Generally speaking, I believe that Senator Biden saying something stupid, it's like the sun rising. If you keep the camera pointed in the direction all the time, you'll see it happen at least once a day. He's proven that over the years. In this case, it's not what happened. He did not lose his temper, as is being reported. He gave a very compelling case for why what they want to do has already been done in the past. And it actually makes a lot of sense if you're a Democrat to think that way. Okay, I'm not going to say whether that's right or wrong. That's just what happened. And the way Fox presented this, and they also said in a little caption at the bottom, Orlando Station shut down. So I was thinking, man, did they get their license pulled or something? And when I looked it up, of course, they're still on the air. What they mean by shut down is Biden and Obama and their campaign have refused to do any other interviews with that station. Now... I think that tells us a lot, but I also understand why that decision was made. If I were Obama, I'd be like, look, we're, we're less than two weeks from the election now. I'm ahead in the polls. It looks like there's no way I'm going to lose this thing unless we do something to take it away from ourselves. We are our own worst enemy right now. We're not going to put ourselves in that position again because I want to win. Like that's, that would be the, the reason that decision was made from a, from a strategic standpoint, and you can't fault it, so there's no need to go inserting hyperbole in there. All right, so in this one, what was presented is not what happened. It's not the way that it happened. It's simply that they didn't like the line of questioning, and they refused to give this station future interviews based on that line of questioning. Totally within their rights to do so, period. Now, I'd like to see everybody else start asking the same question everywhere, where they don't have all these media outlets, and, hey, let's let's get these questions answered for the American people, because I do believe that Obama's a Marxist. That leads us to the other thing, the thing that now is going to counterbalance this, this positive for the Obama campaign. There's a tape now circulating from a radio interview in 2001, and this does check out. And it's Obama talking about the civil rights movement and how it's a tragedy, and he uses that word, a tragedy, that everything was so focused on the courts and not enough on the community-level organization people, and not enough attention was paid to the redistribution of wealth. All right. 
Now, that's not a paraphrase. That is the word he used. I will also try to find a source of that audio online and post a link to that from the survivalpodcast.com with this episode. He basically said our civil rights movements had successes and failures, and one of the failures was we didn't successfully get enough redistribution of wealth done. It's what he said. That is Marxism, folks. All right? That flat out is Marxism. And that may, if, 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 if Obama loses this election today, this, this coming week, it will be because of that statement in 2001. All these other things that have popped up are people saying things about them, people pushing things off on them. Joe the plumber, and it's a side comment, hey, you know what I mean, right? We've always had a graduated income tax in this country, and most people think it's a good idea that wealthy people should pay a bigger share than poor people. All right, which I don't agree with that, but that's it spins well. Well, this is a flat-out statement of we need to redistribute wealth in this country. That's going to play, and it's going to play, and it's going to play. And if I were the McCain campaign, if I were the McCain campaign, I would run that audio clip nonstop. Just the way that, that Obama's been running the clip of McCain saying he voted with the president 90% of the time without telling you when he said it, how long ago that was. All right, I would, that, if I, I'm not talking about what's right or wrong. I'm talking about if you want to win, that's the way to go. Because if you know me, you know I don't want either one of these assholes. All right? I think they're both assholes. I think they're both bad for the country. I think both of them have their head up their ass and don't really know what they're doing when it comes to leading a country in a time like this. And I'm not talking about the Islamic terrorism threat that's out there. I'm talking about the massive economic threat that's out there that threatens to destroy the whole damn world economy. And you're going to put either one of these boobs in control? You've got to be kidding me. Because both of them are talking about increasing spending at a time when we don't have any money left. Because let me tell you the, 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 the facts on the ground. Oh, McCain wants to cut taxes for wealthy people. That is true. He wants to do that because if you give wealthy people more money in their businesses, they hire more people. That is also true. Okay? That's true reality. Obama wants to cut taxes for people under... The reality is under $100,000 a year. If you make $120,000, $130,000, as an individual, not as a family, but as an individual, you're going to see a massive tax increase that's hidden from you. It's going to come out of your paycheck before you ever see it. It's the raise of the cap of Social Security. All right? But for people down in that $100,000 tax bracket, or individuals combined to $200,000 to a household, so you got a wife and a husband both make $100,000, they are going to see a tax cut. If he gets them through, that's the big thing. If he gets them done. If either one of these get these idiots get this stuff done, because the Congress has got to be out of their mind to go along with either plan. Because the money's not there. Why are these tax increases actually spending increases? Because you're not cutting spending to compensate for it. All right. If you want to cut taxes for anybody, I'm for it. I want everybody's taxes cut to the bone. I would like to see no individual income tax in this country because I think it's unconstitutional. And I can prove that it is unconstitutional because the Supreme Court said in 1922 that it was unconstitutional constitutional and everybody just ignored it because it was such a small thing back then and we now have a case of the fact that it's been in in existence for so long by the fact that it's here makes it legitimate all right so i would cut it to the bone on constitutional grounds but to cut income tax you must cut corresponding spending what Obama and McCain are talking about is increasing spending and cutting taxes at the same time. 
They're both giving you the same spiel. One's going to cut taxes from a highly taxed bracket. The other's going to cut taxes in a tax bracket that's already very lowly taxed, at least from a federal income tax standpoint. Both are paying too much. Both should have their taxes cut, but you can't do either one without cutting corresponding spending. Neither one are doing that. Therefore, the tax cuts are nothing but the government spending more money than it does not have. That's why both of these guys are idiots, and neither one of them should be running our country. Period. End of story. Okay, so that's my take on politics for the day. And if I've, if I've offended you or ticked you off, I'm sorry. You want fair and balanced? There's fair and balanced. They're both wrong. So let's get into something a little more practical, winter gardening. So, um... Just gave a pause there for a second. You probably didn't notice it was to get myself keyed down from this political discussion because, frankly, this stuff hacks me off. And I was also uh, coming up a hill on a merge point, folks, from my mobile studio here. Which, if this is your first show, all of these broadcasts are done during a 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. And uh, so now I'm kind of calmed down. I've also gotten past that kind of what you, I guess you would call a navigational danger point, and I'm ready to go into today's main topic, which is winter gardening and starting to think about winter gardening now. The first part I want to talk about, this is so much how to garden during the winter, it's, it's what to do during the winter even if you're not going to garden during the winter. Even if you're going to wait until March in some parts of the country, late February in other parts of the country, early March some, late March others, beginning of April for some other parts, depending on where you live and your climatic range, uh, you're going to have different times where you would put traditional summer uh, or spring crops to the ground. And some people very early, some people quite late. Even if that's what you're going to do, the time to start thinking about everything is today. Because there is nothing worse than being out in 90 or 100 degree heat, breaking hard sod. It's much more enjoyable to be out there right now where today, even in sunny Dallas-Fort Worth, the temperature right now is 47 degrees. And uh, I plan on adding a couple new uh, raised beds this year to my garden here in Arlington. And uh, if I were not going to work right now, i tell you what, a cup of hot coffee and a shovel in my hand, I'd be pretty content right now out there cutting out some new beds. Uh, so it's just a better time of the year to work, and it gives you more time to get things done. I'm a huge fan of raised bed gardening, and I really suggest you consider using it in one form or another uh, for your gardening, especially if you're a new gardener. You're just going to have better results. If you have better results, uh, you're going to get more excited. You're going to do more. You're going to continue to expand your garden. So what do I mean by one form or another with raised beds? Well, there's two ways to raise beds. It's not always the, the way that most people think. When I say raised bed, the first thing people think about is getting some landscape timbers or two-by-eights or four-by-fours or some old railroad ties or rocks and building a wall, so, so to speak, six, eight, ten inches high, and throwing dirt in it. That's one way to do raised bed gardening. It is not the only way. You can just basically raise the ground in an area uh, just by piling up dirt. All right, and that's that's another way to do raised bed gardening. It's just to pile that dirt up. All right, so you can take either approach. I prefer using an, using the approach of let's actually build walls. Let's build the walls wide enough where I can walk in between, and I have grass there. It keeps the mud down. I don't have to lay down straw, and I can cut the grass all around my raised beds. That's what I've chosen to do. It's not the only way. I've seen beautiful gardens, and if you have more space, this makes more sense because you don't have to pay for the construction of all these walls that are huge, long rows and, and beds all over the place. And everything in 
between during the during the summer you just cover with straw. And you keep it compact and you keep weeds down. And then you just pile up your beds. You keep piling them up year after year by adding compost and adding organic matter, etc. So there's two ways to do that. You have to decide which one makes more sense for you. And, and again, in my instance, I just basically, because we're sitting in a place uh, with a pretty big slope as well where it's hard to maintain the beds. If you have a big flat piece of ground, it's a lot easier to maintain beds without a wall where I've got a lot of slope to my yard. So it was also one of the considerations I had to make. And I'm not building that huge of a garden. So the construction material and what I've used are the the typical landscape timbers that sell for about $3 a timber at Home Depot or Lowe's. Uh, They last damn near forever. So that's the way I went. But again, you can go either way. Now, either way that you go with your raised bed gardening, let me tell you about some mistakes that I've made or I've seen other people make that you really shouldn't and how to avoid them. One is the belief that since I'm doing a raised bed, um, and, and I might even be doing it because the soil where I live sucks and where I live the soil does suck, that I don't really need to worry about the soil that's underneath the bed. What I'll do is I'll just put in my timbers and fill it up with dirt, and I've got eight inches of dirt, and that's enough. It is enough, it'll work, but it's not the best way to do things. If you work the soil below, at least four inches deep, now you have 12 inches of soil that's, that's, that's been worked. And over time, some of the organic matter will kind of trickle down into that, that, that bed that you've created. The other thing that will happen is when you water, the water will go deeper into the ground beneath the soil you've added. Instead of kind of layering up on the compacted layer right at the bottom of the bed and leaking out the side, so your watering will be more effective and last longer. Your roots will be able to go deeper. Let me let's look at something as typical as a carrot. Most people see a carrot. If it's an eight-inch carrot, you think the roots go down eight inches. That's not true. The the, the, the tap root of that carrot, the little hair-like roots, if they are able to, may go as deep as another foot down, and they may go as much as two feet out. You don't really see them when you pull them because they're hair-like roots. And when you pull them out of the ground, okay, they strip off, but they're in there. So having this well-worked, deep, wide, raised bed is going to help you grow better, more healthy vegetables. Another note, when you're working with raised beds, think wide. And when I say wide, I'm talking three, four feet wide, not eight feet wide. This is regardless of length. You build the length to fit, but think three feet minimum, probably four feet maximum, depending on how long your arms are. What you want to do is go with the widest bed you can, where you could reach the center from either side without stepping in the bed. Your goal with a raised bed should be to never step inside the bed once you make it. These are mistakes I've made. I built two small raised beds. They're about two foot by eight foot. So I should have built them four foot by eight foot. All right? That was one mistake I made. The next mistake I made was I made an eight foot by eight foot bed. Well, it's impossible, absolutely, positively impossible to reach the center of that from all sides. So I'm stuck with a point where I have to walk in the bed to do certain things. I try to minimize it, but now I have to decide, do I want to leave it as it is as constructed, or do I want to tear it down and turn it into basically two beds instead of one giant one? And I have to make that decision. My instinct is to leave it as it is and use it basically for like a rotational corn and beans arrangement because it's a nice big grid. It'll make a really beautiful
beautiful place to grow corn and a really beautiful place to grow bush beets. And I can grow those kind of in combination. And when I plant my corn, I can throw squash down. I think that's how I'm going to choose to use this bed. Uh, but if I had it to do over again, I would have made two two-foot by four-foot beds instead of one eight-by-eight. Eight. I'm sorry, two eight-by-four instead of one two-by-eight. It's more work, but it would have been worth it. As I add beds, my minimum width on my beds will be three feet from this point forward based on what I've learned through my experiences and my mistakes. So think about that because what you should be doing right now, even if you're not going to put a shovel in the ground until December, is you should be thinking about your yard and you should be getting costs of materials, how much it's going to cost, and deciding how much can I put in in one year. And don't be afraid to start small. Don't be afraid to start with one or two beds. You know, and it does implant your first year. It's okay. Right? At least you're doing something and keep adding to it. Two beds is better. I mean, two beds gives you a little bit more flexibility. Three, you really can start doing some rotation and planting different crops and adding and doing companion planting and all these other things. But start somewhere. At least do one. Sketch out in your yard. Go out right now. And if you find this time of year the part of your yard that gets the most sun, it will be the part of your yard that gets the most sun in the summer as well. It'll get a lot more. All right, because the sun's lower in the sky now than it is in the in the summertime. So it's a good time to make that estimation. Where's the sunniest spot of your yard? Because if you go out three or four times a day in the middle of summer, you might get the impression there's sun everywhere. Uh, right now, we'll identify for you the sunniest spot in your garden. That may not be what you want, depending on the kind of crops you need to grow and how hot it gets. You may have a desire for some level of shade. Or you may want to put some beds where they're going to get some shade during parts of the day and some other beds, you know, all have have to be together. Your garden doesn't have to be in one place. Most people that listen to this show are in suburbia. They don't have big farms. They have a half acre, a third of an acre. Some people have a tenth of an acre. So you have to think a little bit more creatively and put your different crops where they're going to do best on your land. Uh, a lot of times you try to grow lettuce, let's say, in the, in the summer. It can't be done. But if you put it in a nice shady area, you get it started under UV lights. You get it nice and healthy before you put it out. And then you put it out into the ground in a shaded area. It'll grow even when it's relatively warm. Put lettuce in the sun in the summertime and even in the coolest parts of the world, it will die. It really will. The summer, it's too much sun, it's too much heat, it warms the ground, it goes above about 60 degrees soil temperature, lettuce just doesn't do very well. Find a nice, shady, moist area with some pass-through light and put a well-started uh, group of lettuce plants there or spinach plants. They'll generally do okay until at least the hottest part of the year. In Texas, July and eight happening. But you can you can coax it up till about early June, and then you can coax it from September on. So you only have this little blip in the middle where you can't grow that type of a green. All right, and then in the, in the winter you can start growing this stuff like crazy with maybe a little bit of greenhouse protection or things like that, doing it in pots. All right, but now's the time to go out and sketch out where in my yard am I going to do this and start thinking dimensions. And they, this is my rules for you: your beds three feet wide, eight feet high or eight inches high minimum. Your length is up to you. It could be four feet by four feet, and you can do square foot gardening, which is another technique. It could be four foot by twelve feet, and you can do lice long rows with different plants all working together in harmony. All right, And in some future shows, I'm going to start talking about some companion planting and how to use certain plants to repel pests. Right, Like garlic, onions, and marigolds are some of the best things you can plant in your garden. And mint. Mint is invasive, so you put it in a pot. And you stick a pot of mint in your garden. That's, that's some things. But here's the beauty of this. This is why I think about winter gardening. Odds are in the winter, your pest problem is severely diminished. 
And what I mean by that is you don't have a lot of cabbage flies flying around, laying little green caterpillars, eating up your cabbage, your broccoli, your Brussels sprouts, and things like that in the wintertime when at night it goes below freezing. So if you figure out how to protect those plants, you're not going to have as much pest issue. If you're growing plants in a greenhouse, you have the greenhouse as a form of protection. Alright? From not only the cool nights, but the pests that maybe are around. So both of those things work together to make winter one of the best times in the world to garden. Let's take a, a just a snap at some of the things that you can grow, protected or even unprotected during the winter. One of the Great things to grow here in Texas in the wintertime is Swiss chard. Swiss chard will handle a freeze, not a heavy, hard 20-degree freeze, but a lot of the years we never really get a super freeze. And if you just go out and throw a frost blanket on it in the, in the coldest nights, it'll go right through the winter. And the thing about chard is it's very bitter in the summer. It'll, grow, it'll handle the heat and it'll grow very bitter in the summer. If you cut it back this time of year and let the new shoots begin to come up, and if you handle Swiss chard right, especially in places like Texas, you might be able to get one plant to produce for you for five years. If you take care of it, if you harvest it regularly, if you allow it to continually come back and protect it from the frost, it does not have to be an annual. Once that cold weather sets in, and it's maybe highs in the 70s, and at night you're getting down nice and cold, you go out and pick Swiss chard early in the morning, and it's going to have a lot less bitterness to it. And it's going to be a lot crisper. It's going to taste a lot better. That's true of all the greens, but especially Swiss chard. Spinach can handle a lot of cold. It can't handle the cold as well as Swiss chard can, which is weird because chard can handle a heat and spinach can't. But spinach can handle a lot of, and it grows very, very well in cool conditions. So it's another great winter crop. And as long as you give it some frost protection, it'll handle in the south a lot of our cold nights. Uh, it's also great in the northern climates, Midwest, etc., to grow in greenhouses during the winter. Greenhouses generally are pretty cold inside, 60 degrees, 50 degrees with the sun on them, when it's you know 20 below zero outside if you build a good greenhouse or even a, a decent greenhouse. But that environment is beautiful for spinach. It's beautiful for lettuce. All right? In the ground, you can often grow right through the winter onions uh, and garlics. You can plant them right now. You plant your sets right now. Now, some places it gets too cold. It ain't going to happen. Right? They freeze and they basically die. The heads die off. A lot of times, even if you do that, though, they'll come back in the spring and grow. That bulb will stay in the ground and, and you know, kind of reinvigorate itself when the soil's warm enough and start growing again. But in places like Texas, again, with a little bit of frost blanket protection during the coldest nights, you can grow onions right through uh, the wintertime. You can grow garlics right through the wintertime. You can grow chives right through the wintertime. little tip for you. Take some of your smaller onions that are in the ground. And if you can avoid digging them up, leave them in the ground when you plant your summer crops. And even if they go to seed and they get to a point where you can't use them, sacrifice them because the scent of that onion or garlic is going to repel a lot of your summer pests. So this is another way we're taking the winter time and we're planning for the future with it. Right? Uh, some other things that you could grow right now. If you really aren't looking to do any major production right now, plant a plot of beans. Not necessarily beans that you're going to eat. Maybe just field beans. Or maybe even bush beans. See how long you can keep them alive with frost blankets and whatnot. The only reason you would be doing that right now is you're nitrifying the soil with a legume. So what I might do is go out to that big 8x8 plot, plant a big pile of field beans out there, and just let them grow. 
uh, get a frost blanket and the first couple of frost throw it over top of them. Eventually, I'll accept the fact that they just can't handle it. It's too cold. Leave them exposed. They'll die to the ground. And I'll leave them lay on top of the ground, and I'll cover that plot with a tarp. And that'll let the tops rot, and the roots will stay in the ground, and that'll get a lot of organic nitrogen into my soil for my early corn crop that I'll plant in that particular bed. All right, so now, again, maybe I'm not using that bed so much for production this winter, but I'm using the winter to prepare it for its production in the spring. These are all different things to think about, but again, I, I really you know, encourage you to think about design, development, improvement, and expansion. If you already have a garden, now's the time to think about getting your beds ready for next year or using them the way, however you can to do some production for yourself uh, in the winter. And it's also time to think about constructing new beds and new production. You know, look at this year. What produced well, what didn't? What would you like to have more of? How much more space do you need prepared to be able to provide that? You start looking at these things now. You start preparing now. And by March or April or whatever it is you're going out in earnest to plant your summer crops, you have a lot more space available. It's a lot better prepared. Your ground has worked deeper. Uh, it's ha- you've had time to utilize some organic uh, fertilizing methods. If you have to use fertilizer, folks, I'm not huge on this. We never use any form of commercial fertilizer. I, You know, there's certain crops that if you want to get them off the ground quick, uh, there, there is a place for that stuff. It's, it's why we all eat so well every day, because things are fertilized. It's not it doesn't always have to be all organic. If you want that, I have no problems with it. But I'll tell you what, when I'm trying to get corn off the ground, using some good high nitrogen fertilizer uh, generally gets corn off the ground a lot quicker. Corn is so heavily, um, use, it uses the ground so heavily. Even with planting beans and stuff, it's generally not enough to get a good crop of corn grown. It doesn't produce well. The ears aren't right. It doesn't grow fast enough to, to beat the heat before the summer comes and, and really starts to put a bean on it. So using a good high nitrogen fertilizer in the plot where you grow corn a lot of times makes sense, and you may not have to use it elsewhere, so don't. Uh, So those are just some other things to think about. This is also a great time of year to think about either building a greenhouse, buying a prefabricated greenhouse kit, or even what I'm going to buy this year is, is called a springhouse greenhouse, which basically pops up like a like a tent, so to speak. And the one I got my eye on is about 225 bucks online. And I actually tried contacted the company and tried to get them to give away one in our listener appreciation contest. And they're out of Germany and they weren't biting, and that's too bad. And uh, maybe if you guys inundate them with emails and tell them how much you love the survival podcast and heard about their product maybe they'll 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 kick one over here even one of the smaller ones even one of the row houses they call them they're for putting over a row but the product looks really cool i was pretty much sold on it and then this week i went to uh, a local nursery called uh i won't give their name out because they might get offended by it because of what i'm going to say but i went to a local nursery here and I looked and I went, that's it. That's the springhouse thing I keep telling you about. It was with my wife. And she's like, okay, well, let's go look at it. So I went and looked at it. She said, well, if you want to buy it, buy it. And I said, well, thanks, but let's find out how much it costs first. So it was like $400. And it was about half price online. And I'm all for supporting my local economy. But that's a lot of money that could go into other things for the household and for preps and things. It's just too much of a difference. If it was 25 bucks, I would have bought it locally. So I'm going to buy this thing online. But the reason I even tell you this is because when I went and I looked at it, Oh wow! This is a this is a high quality product. This is why people are in this country today relying on imports from places like Germany for high quality goods and China for cheap quality goods. And the U.S. is producing almost nothing for itself. The way this thing was built, folks, 
the, the thickness of this, this clear material it looked like something that would stand up for maybe 10 seasons if you took good care of it. It had a shade thing that goes over the top. It had multiple vents. And I looked at it and went, if I built something like this, you know, like built a homemade, completely homemade greenhouse, it would never be as good as this thing really is for my climate. Because it is plastic and it doesn't have a floor and, you know, it has these things that you stake down into the ground or what have you. So an actual greenhouse with a real floor in it would probably be better. Then again, I could build a floor and put this thing on top of it. Uh, but it, I just couldn't do as good for the same price without building a really high-end permanent greenhouse. That's my plan in Arkansas, but I'm still here in Arlington. So my thought was I can use this thing to my heart's content here. It folds up in a thing that's a little bit bigger than a truck steering wheel when it's when it's folded up, believe it or not. Even though it's 8x8, eight eight, you can stand in it. Um, and then I can take it with me when I leave. So I'm going to use that this year, and that's going to be my first real heavy greenhouse work that I've ever done since back when I was a kid doing it with my grandfather. I just haven't had the time to build a greenhouse, and this thing has given me the time because the time takes letting it pop itself up, staking it to the ground, and putting some shelves in it. So it, it, this is a good time of year to do something like that, you might want to check them out. And even though they declined being a sponsor, because I think the product's such a good product, I'm going to go ahead and give them some links. But if you want to help me out, just email them and ask them a question or tell them whatever and, and say that you heard about them on the Survival Podcast and that uh, maybe you think that they would they, they would make a good sponsor and to get in touch with me. Uh, maybe we could jar that one loose because I'd love to give away one or two of these things to some of you guys out there. Even if, like I said, they have smaller ones that are designed, like you grow a row of uh, broccoli. And instead of having a big greenhouse, you just have this little thing called a row house. And you just set that on cold nights or, you know, during the day to let it heat up anyway. And then it's there overnight to protect your row. And I thought that was really cool. And I may give these guys quite a bit of business even if they never sponsor us because uh, I, I just like what I'm seeing there. And I love the quality of what I saw. So this is a good time to think about greenhouses. They have one that's like... Oh, I think it's 6 by 6 or something, a little bit smaller, for like 150 bucks. So it's a low cost of entry, and it's a way to do some, some greenhouse growing. Wintertime, even if you're not going to grow in the greenhouse, what's the big fascination with the greenhouse? Well, instead of going to Home Depot and buying these plants that are just not taken care of very well, where you don't really know what variety or what brand or what, what where the seed source is, and trying to coax them back to life when you put them in the ground. With a greenhouse, you can go out in January or February and get your little seed starter trays or your little peat pots or make your own from newspaper. There's a lot of information on how to do that. Fill them up with some good quality potting soil. Buy the exact seeds that you want and produce plants that are well cared for and healthy and ready to go into the ground at a time of your choosing. Maybe normally the the, the you know the big box stores, so to speak, have their plants available in April. Actually, May is what they do it here. May in Texas. Man, those plants should have been in the ground for three to six weeks already if you're doing things the right way. But they're not available three to six weeks earlier. So this lets you put your plants in the ground when you want them in the ground. And it lets you control things to a higher degree. So it's something I really suggest you look into. And if you're not into the greenhouse thing, if you don't really have the room, you could always build what's called a cold frame, which is basically a little bitty mini greenhouse. A lot of times they're dug into the ground. And uh, my grandfather had one with just a couple old 
window panes from a broken down old house with a little pulley system to allow them to raise up. So you can raise them up during the day and close them down at night. And they also, you know, a cold frame is great because it'll allow you to take a plant that you've been growing indoors and harden it off, so to speak. So you're getting ready to put it out. It still gets pretty cold at night. It gets pretty hot during the day. The plant's been used to this perfect environment. You stick it out in the cold frame and you give it a little bit more exposure each day until you think it's ready to go in the ground. That's another. And then there's what's called a hot frame, uh, which is where you take some compost, basically, in a cold frame and put it on the floor, and that generates heat, and that'll get plants through some colder times. So actually, you know, I'm I'm up on like 35 minutes now. I think I'll try to do another show, maybe even this afternoon, uh, so that I can fill in that gap for you on winter gardening. So I have a lot of other things that you can do during the winter uh, to grow grow stuff, either outdoors or even indoors. I want to talk about some of the things you can do inside with growth lights and things like that, and some of the disadvantages of not having a growth light. And uh, I think it'll get too long if I do that now. So I'm going to wrap the show up today, uh, and then I'll try to go ahead and fill in the blanks on this and do kind of a part two of it, uh, designed to be published either tomorrow or Wednesday. But remember, if you don't hear from me Tuesday and Wednesday, nothing happened. I just have to go out of town on business. Uh, also, please remember, come by the blog, thesurvivalpodcast.com. Comment in today's episode. Comment in other episodes on the blog. Uh, use the resources that I put there. I don't just put them there to fill out the, the show. I put them there because I believe they add value uh, and they give you additional information that maybe I can't do uh, with audio only. They either require video or pictures or images, so I try to provide that uh, to you as well. And also join our forum. Our forum is rapidly growing, and you can link to it right off the left side of the site. You'll see it up in the left-hand corner, recent posts from our forum. Our forum now has over 5,000 posts in it. It's about four or five weeks old and uh, well over 300 members. It's almost, I think it's close to 400 members already. So you will be welcome there. We also have in our forum a new section for regional uh, postings. I broke down the United States into about eight regions. It's loosely based on the ten regions that FEMA uses uh, because it made it very convenient. Somebody posted a list for me to do that. So, uh, you know, chime in there, connect with local people, look at all the other boards. Uh, If you are a hardcore, gun-toting, military survivalist, there's discussions there for you. And if you're into canning and preserving and things like that, there's discussions there for you. So the forum was designed to let listeners connect with each other from all over the country and for that matter from all over the world in a regional area we have an international forum as well and we have listeners in Australia, New Zealand uh, mainland Europe, the United Kingdom Mexico, Brazil uh, Canada so we have an international audience now folks which is amazing the show's only four months old Uh, so get together, connect on the forum add to the discussion uh, participate in our five item challenge you can look that up on the forum if you uh, want more information in the recipes forum, and, and just give me some feedback and, and continue to let me know how uh, you're preparing and, and how this show's uh, helping you uh, make better decisions. Or if you have criticism, give it to me. I, I never shy away from criticism. Uh, the other thing, uh, r- real quick, is uh, you know. M- Make sure you understand that I try to do the show about the things that you're interested in. So there's a, a, a specific board on the forums uh, under, like, show feedback and fan mail is the main category. And you can there suggest topics. And I, I prefer that than you sending me an email saying, hey, Jack, I'd like you to do a show about. When you send me an email, which you can do at jackofthesurvivalpodcast.com, use that for general feedback and maybe a personal question or something like that. If you have a show suggestion posted on the forum... 
uh, because that'll let me know how many other people are interested. And if I get four or five people saying, yeah, I want a show on that, here's some ideas for it, I'll do a better show, and I'll move it up on my priority list rather than just one person wants to hear about it. Uh, and then understand sometimes when you guys suggest a show, uh, it might be on a topic that I could do in two minutes, so I might wrap it into another show and not really do a show on it because it's hard to talk for 30 or 40 minutes and keep things interesting about certain subjects, at least with what you can do on audio. If I could do video casts or something like that, which I may do in the future, uh, there's some of these other subjects will work out. So don't think if I don't do your show, it's not important. It just may be that I have a lot of other things on this on the table, and uh, frankly, I try to give priority to the stuff with the most interest. So again, uh, do continue to give me your feedback. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler. It really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.